Hey, welcome <laughs> back to Bible and Banter. We're coming on air just as Luke was about to share something profound for the first time on the show, um, and well, I was unable to catch it. So, well, was, uh, welcome. Well, we were joined by Luke, Mike, and of course your lovely bearded host Eric Reynolds. What's up, everyone? Uh, Luke, what's good in uh, Lenore? Uh, well, it's good. Does that answer your question? I don't understand your oh question. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Mike, how are you doing? Um, give us more than just one word. Um, doing relatively well considering the difficulties of ministry. Okay. But as I shared with you guys last night and asked for some impromptu prayer, had to deal with a, a difficult pastoral ministry uh, scenario that I've never had to dealt with. And, mm. and so, um, you know, notifi notif uh, yeah. notification of uh, unexpected death to children um, is not is not easy that I've not had to be part of before. So, yeah. but the, I think the Lord was there and, uh, and uh, we're going to try to be here as a church to support however we can, yeah. or at least I will. I really can't force other people to be places, but I'm going to try. <laughs> okay. All right. That's good. That's good. Uh, Eric, how, how, how's your good? Um. I'm well. I got my first uh, first playoff game of the season tonight. Uh, the first round was last week, but I couldn't make it for two reasons. We had um, we have VBS last week, and then I also had my tendonitis flared up in my Achilles, which is a sign that I'm getting old. And uh, I could barely walk last week. So I skated last night, won a game last night, and then tonight I'm playing for another team, and we're in the second round of the playoffs. So I'm I pretty stoked. I didn't realize equipment managers had to actually skate. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I mean, is it is it technically considered I played in the playoffs if you just sit on the bench the whole game? I don't think it counts. I get, I, I get that everyone on the championship team gets a ring, but not all the rings really count. Yeah. So. <laughs> so on this, so on this team that I play, so I play on a team that alternates uh, Sunday and Monday nights, and that's a, a lower level team. And then the team I play on on Tuesday nights is a higher level team, and I'm the probably one of the worst two or three guys on that team. So whenever the game's close and it's towards the end of the game, I just like meander over to the bench and be like, "Hey man, you want to shift?" <laughs> because uh, listen, I don't want to be a detriment to the team. You know, I'm a team. I am the ultimate team player. I want to be on the ice. I want to skate. I want to play hard. But uh, hey, if the game's on the line, I know who who our best players are, man. So, um, so I'm looking forward to the game tonight. It should be good. So you're you're like the anti Michael Jordan. When when the game is on the line and the clock is ticking down, you find the bench as quickly as possible. No, that's not the case. I'm out there. At the end of the, I'm, I'm out there at the. End, I'm just saying if there's an opportune time, because in hockey you have to transition on and off the ice as seamlessly as possible. Um, and the last thing you want to do is be caught at the end of the game in a tie game in your own end, having been on the ice for two minutes. You know, so. Um, 
because in hockey, you know, a typical shift is somewhere between 45 and 90 seconds. So um, in beer league, which is adult league, it's <laughs> so depending on the guy, your typical shift could be anywhere from a minute and a half to five minutes. So uh, if my, my skills drop off precipitously after about two minutes so on the ice, and then you get to the bench, you rest for a couple minutes and then you get back on. So, yeah, but today's show is not about hockey. Although I'm happy to, happy to talk those intricacies with you all day. All day, but today we've got we've got a special announcement. We're going to talk about seasons of life, um, and and I at least I didn't give you guys any prep time because really you could give Luke all the prep time in the world, and he is absolutely not going to going to prepare. Um, so, uh, so I pulled up Ecclesiastes three. I thought that would be a good framework for us to work from. You know, um, using the word Bible in the name of our show, and maybe look at that and see what Scripture has to say a little bit. And, uh, you're rocking. You're rocking the boat a little bit today, Eric. Using the Bible in Bible. Uh, I know. I try to go to the Bible as much as possible, but for some reason, you guys resist me at every turn. I'm just always too busy reading those Rick Warren books you recommend. Uh, <laughs> I I don't think I've ever recommended a Rick Warren book. Um, although I think Rick is probably a great brother in the Lord. Uh, his ministry practices are are anyway. Rick, Rick Warren has a great quote. He says. Uh, the evangelism oh, I do yeah. is better than the evangelism you don't do. So respect to Unfortunately, unfortunately um, what he thinks is evangelism is just, you know, getting people who are already Christians in his church. So there's so there's that. Um, anyway, moving on. Luke, uh, we've got a kind of a big announcement. We do. Yeah, I, I mean, at least big for us in terms of relative size, it's pretty minuscule. But I mean, I think I think what we're about to to share is going to rock the Advent Christian world, unlike anything before. It's true, but it's sort of like saying that it's going to rock the tiny rowboat in the pond. I mean, it do, it, it's not going to take much of a ripple. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, this is going to be my last episode of Bible and Banter. Yes. It is. We have. Uh, you finally have committed one too many sins on this show. We've had to apologize far too many times. You've been voted off the island. Um, that is funny, and no, that is not what happened. Uh, what, what actually happened is I had a uh, a daughter with lots of medical issues, and then a couple months after that, uh, one of my wife's major organs. Uh, failed and she had to have major surgery and is dealing with some medical issues of her own. And so, uh, uh, and on top of that, things at our church are, uh, high have just been, we've been back in full swing ever since the reopening. So I'm just entering a season of life where I've had to really look at what's on my plate and take some of my favorite things like this. I love doing this every week. And, um, you know, remove some of those things. So unfortunately this along with several other things got put on the chopping block. It's got nothing to do with my uh, sense of enjoyment or fulfillment. I love getting to do this with you guys, but in terms of priorities, unfortunately this is near the bottom. So it had to go. Can you define every week for every Eric week. and I? I'm you, sorry. Said, you, you said one of your favorite things was doing this Bible and banter every week. So, uh, part, of, 
part of the reason that I am stepping away. You may have noticed I've had to miss a lot of shows, and I didn't want to continue to do that. Uh, hmm. So it was uh, the options were either step down or continue to be a flake, and uh, I chose I chose Plan A. You know, Luke, I just want I want to share with you that I I I really appreciate your willingness to kind of look at everything that's going on in your life, um, assess it, evaluate it, and and even set aside the things that that you do have enjoyment um with and saying hey although i really enjoy this um it's outside my calling this you know it's not it's not particular to my calling it's not something that the lord has said i must do this mm -hmm. um, but he has called you to be a husband to be a father to be a pastor to your community and um it seems that you have prioritized those things and i admire that mm -hmm. um i personally i will miss you um because now that you're not on the show, now I'm not going to talk to you anymore because you know, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is what has bound us together for you. I mean, I mean, we do, we do still have the phone. Uh, well, hold on, hold on. Do we though, Luke? Because I agree with, I'm, I, I am going to miss you and I'm going to try not to cry. I've been crying a lot lately, so I'm on the verge all the time. So, mm -hmm. so it's just like icing on the cake, but it's old age, Mike, you, 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 you've two things. You've you've cut back on your responses to our text messages, this and is I'm true. and I'm pretty sure pretty sure at one point you even said either on Bible and banter with us here or when you did your solo gig that we text you too many things that should just be between us, me and Eric. Uh, it, it is true that I will not want to be included in discussions <laughs> of the show anymore. I, uh, I, I there's no reason for me to be a fly on the wall for those, uh, but that doesn't mean that you guys can't. Text me for other reasons, you know. Like uh, what though? What do you want us to text you about now? Like, should we? Are we gonna have just a? I need you to define the limitations of our friendship, because before we used to send memes and gifts to one another to like make each other laugh, and I get the sense that you're like, and eh, that doesn't really pertain to me. Stop, right? I like I just get that sense. I knew you guys were gonna make this weird. I did not know you were gonna do it this way. Um, <laughs> we're, trying to, we're asking you set the boundaries for us that we know and the people here on the show will know and we'll give them periodic updates on how well we are respecting those boundaries this, this is this is boundaries not boundaries in dating but boundaries in in friendship so we need we need uh, to know especially long distance relationships this is okay. how i wait what's the book how i kiss dating goodbye this is how i kiss talking to luke goodbye Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a fight club here. Are you ready? Okay, boundary number one: don't discuss personal boundaries in public forums. <laughs> boundary number two: don't discuss personal boundaries in public forums. So uh, wait, but, so what you're saying is you're not telling. This could be the last time we talk to you for a very long time. You're saying, hey, I'm not willing to talk about what we need to talk about. Oh, so while uh. While they're um, having their fun, I'm going to actually uh, uh, we'll have we'll have a, a bit more, I think, of a, a formal goodbye at the end uh, when I sign off. But I did just want to take a, a quick opportunity to say a few thank yous. Uh, first of all, a thank you to Mike for stepping in this year when we originally brought him in. It was just thinking with the thinking that um, I needed to pull back a little bit. I, I, I had anticipated some of the things that were going to happen this year and knew that I was we were probably going to need some help. Um, but I never would have thought at the beginning of the year when we brought him on that he would be replacing me. 
And uh, to be honest, I think we could not have picked a better person to, to fill in the slot. Uh, honestly, it's been uh, great having him on the show. I'm bummed that uh, just as we sort of are finding our groove with the third guy, I'm having to step away. But it really has been great having him on the show. Um, and uh, I'm really glad I had the chance to have some conversations with you, Mike, that uh, all, all your jokes aside, in all seriousness, we might never have had. If not, if not for this forum. So grateful to you. Um, secondly, certainly grateful to our audience. I mean, gosh, we've been doing this show a year and a half. And uh, we've got plenty of people on here who've been watching for over a year, uh, chiming in in the comments. And uh, I don't know that I would spend a, a Tuesday afternoon listening to these bozos wax, uh, wax theological. But we've got several people who've continued to do it. And so certainly grateful to our audience. But third, and Definitely not last. Uh, a huge thank you to Eric. All, uh, all, all teasing aside, he really is the guy who made the show happen. He's the one who called me. Uh, he's the one who set up all the technology to make it happen. He continued to uh, persist in terms of, uh, you know, not only we're going to have a show, but what are we going to talk about at times when maybe I wasn't so enthusiastic. Uh, and I've got personal things I could thank Eric for, but I'll do that off air because that's what you do with personal things. Uh, but uh, but but publicly, um, re really grateful for the opportunity to do this over the past 18 months. Uh, and it wouldn't have been possible without the man on the left. Yeah, that's I, it. Oh, I am. I guess I. Yeah, yeah. He's calling you a liberal. <laughs> That's, uh, I wasn't sure how to take that. I'll, I'll put you all, yeah, you know, same category as like uh, Dave Platt, uh, basically anyone who's not James White. I, I just call them all all leftists. You're you're woke. Do we really have to? Do we really have to like reopen the whole conversation? No, about no please. And how I please. proved you wrong. That like, was that, a like, joke. That's the theme of our show: is you like just say something and then then I just prove you wrong, and then Mike just sits there in the middle, caught between going like, I don't really know what to say. I'm uncomfortable right now. Well, I think I think today for once we're actually we're we're gonna try not to be contentious and just have more of a personal life discussion. Um, mm -hmm. And I, Eric, I, I love your idea of sort of using Ecclesiastes as a model. So why don't you take it away? Now, I know Mike uh, has to skedaddle in about 15 minutes. So, Mike, I, I'm going to do my best to sit back and let you uh, speak toward the beginning. And then Eric and I can have a, a little a little one on one time for old time's sake for the second oh, half of the show. A little throwback. Okay. Cute. Well, uh, all right. So I'll, I'll read. I'll, I'll read from the Eric Standard version. Uh, that's Ecclesiastes three one through eight. Uh, the author writes: For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to uh, tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war. And a time for peace. And that's the word of the Lord. So 
you know, there's kind of one big overarching point that the author is trying to communicate here. Um, and it's interesting to me that in verse two, the first verse in which the author starts listing different times. And I don't think this is meant by the author to be an exhaustive list of what there's times for things, but he's trying to illustrate for the audience that in all things in life, um, seasons come and go. And he starts with really the bookends of life. There goes Luke again. <laughs> um, <laughs> there he starts with the bookends of life, a time to be born and a time to die. And relaying that to a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. So he's, he's showing his audience. He's showing us that. Um, from the bookends of life and for everything in between, there's going to be uh, changes. As the great poet and philosophizer once said, the times are a-changing, Bob Dylan. Um, changes in life will come. Uh, people and, and situations will come and go. Um, it seems that everything in life is temporary. But ultimately, we find that there is one thing that is eternal, and that is Christ Jesus, who was raised for us. Um, so everything from the time of our birth to the time that either Jesus returns or our death, um, things will change. And we are God's people, and he's sovereign over those things. And we can trust in God's sovereignty. So... Like for us, with this show, whether this show lasts for another year and a half, whether or not you know Luke ever comes back, um, you know who knows what that what will happen. Um, only God does. But ultimately, um, although there can be a time of sadness for us because we'll be sad to see Luke go, um, we can rejoice in knowing that he has entered a new season in his life that the, that the Lord has prepared for him. Hmm. Mike, what kind of season do you think you're in right now? <laughs> and when do you feel like you entered it? Uh, honestly, I don't know. Um, it's a very confusing uh, season uh, for me. Um, uh, for for a while there, I thought we were on a on a season of you know of upswing of kind of getting uh, um, on a, on a right trajectory and a right path. But then, um, right before COVID, and then COVID hit, uh, just some uh, relational confrontational issues happened in the church and that kind of stymied. And then um, coming into this fall thought, okay, things are settling down a bit. Maybe we can get into a, a, a vein, but uh, you know, other, th as I, as I told my church on, on this Sunday, it seems like whenever a, uh, a, a, a stabilizing season seems to be in uh, some th news or something either comes to me personally or to the church that, threatens to kind of knock the feet out from under you. Uh, so I'd say we're in a kind of a season of rebuilding, of transition. Um, you know, I had a real heart-to-heart -heart sermon on Sunday with the church. We didn't live stream it. We had 
It was more of like, I, I just shared because I'm like, I would do this in a business meeting, but no one comes to business meetings. So I have to, <laughs> I have to do this on a Sunday morning. And it, and, it, and it pertains to the end of John 17, where Jesus prays for the unity of the believers that would come from the testimony of the disciples. And I said, you know, and I just had a sermon about where I see our unity is, where I have concerns over our unity under the gospel. Um, and, and different areas of our, of our church and, and even confessed and, you know, some issues in my own heart. Uh, you know, I said, you know, elders, you know, need to, when something is, an elder is found to be wrong, they must confess publicly. Um, and so some of the fears and, and different things uh, that I uh, wrestle and struggle with and battle um, and asking them for prayer, but also giving a, almost like a state of the union um, type of thing and some of the concerns that I have. Uh, and so you could call it state of the unity of the church. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll see what that does in my own heart. That's where we first have to start. Um, you know, I said, you know, the reality, <laughs> I started off, I said, now when I confess these things, it's because some of these things are what frustrates me in our church. But the reality is oftentimes what frustrates us or that we have the most judgmentalism towards are the very same things that we battle with or we struggle with or we're guilty of. The reason we don't like seeing each other, seeing ourselves in the mirror is because we see the flaws. And so when us, someone else is guilty of something in our mind, it's because we ourselves are probably even more so guilty of that thing. And we don't like seeing it because we can't acknowledge it in our own hearts. And so I was like, so that's where I have to start. I have to deal with the log in my own eye. Um, before we, we deal with that. And so it, I'm not quite sure where we are as a church. I do know that I need to buckle down and, and become more disciplined in self and time and different things. And so uh, there are things that I'm finding I need to drop as well, um, you know, in, in our life also. I, I just got a, an invitation to talk about taking on another role uh, this morning in life. And I had to say, you know, honestly, I would love to do that, but not right now. Um, I, you know, right now is a stepping back season. Um, and so, but yeah. Eric, Eric, same two questions. What kind of season and when did it start? I think, uh, I think, I think maybe I'm in a season of growth. Um, I think I'm, I'm starting to hit a growth spurt just maturity wise, spiritually. Um, you know, uh, the last, the last year has been one of the most difficult in, in my life. Um, you know, with the loss of my mom and it, you know, Robin's noticed I've been more apt to talk about my childhood and I did not have a good childhood. Um, I think by today's standards, there could have been probably could have been open, <laughs> open, uh, department of child services cases opened and, and all kinds of stuff, man. And, and that's not because my mom didn't love me. It's just because, you know, um, we had someone in our home that was just incredibly emotionally and verbally abusive and, and it was just not a good situation. So, you know, I've had to wrestle a lot with that over the years and in the last year has really kind of opened up some of those wounds and ha have had to deal with a lot of that. But it's also, I think, made me um, or is starting to make me a better parent, um, yeah. you know, starting to starting to 
try to see things through my kids' eyes rather than my own eyes. Um, and it's also, I think, um, as my kids grow up and they go through certain situations and maybe as they start making some of the same mistakes that I did, or maybe just doing some of the, maybe they're not even mistakes. Maybe they're just something that, that I did and having to process how to react, um, in a way that isn't detrimental to them. Um, as you know, because oftentimes parenting is learned like through, through what you see. Right. So, you know, when Moses talks about sins carrying down through multiple generations, well, we just know psychologically that's true too. Right. So, so if you're abused as, as a kid, you're more likely to abuse when you're a parent and, and all that you can break cycles. Absolutely. But that's just how we see things trickle down. So I've, I've really had to reflect on that. And, and it's really been by, by God's grace. Um, you know, I've, I'm in a new phase of, of really my educational career as well. I just literally last week finished my uh, MATS and uh, yesterday started uh, my first Greek class and then also a PhD in practical theology. So, um, so there's growth there as well. Um, and, and I think that, I think also I'm growing as a pastor too, you know, um, having more compassion and empathy for the people uh, in my church. I'm coming up on three years here and I only feel like I'm just getting to really get to know people. And, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, but I'm also, you know, knowing that I'm going through some growth stages, some of the th conversations that we've had, you know, about how you, um, how you're taking a step back from some things. It's helped me, you know, I, I know, <clears throat> I know sometimes on the interaction of the show, you say something, I have to play like, all right, Luke, well, let me correct you, you know, like, and some of our conversations are that way. And, but our, our, our relationship has been mutually beneficial because it's not like I'm not some all knowing <laughs> rabbi or something like that. Um, our, our, I think our, our relationship is, is symbiotic. Or, or is that the right term? It, but we, you know, I think we both grow from one another. And and some of the questions that you're asking yourself, you know, I've started to begin to ask myself too. Um, not not regarding like the show, but just like, you know, I, I was thinking, all right, you know, where are my priorities? Are my priorities with my family? Are my priorities with my church? Um, you know. And, and trying to balance because I am a pretty busy guy. You know, I, I play, you know, hockey a couple nights a week. Again, all the education that I'm doing, we homeschool. Um, you know, I just I got I do have a lot on my plate. So trying to figure out, OK, be more strategic. Where can I spend my the best time um, or most valuable time? So think a, a place of growth, man. Hmm. Yeah, How long so been there? I don't know. So I'm going to say something that's going to sound uh, awful and depressing, but I assure you, it's not a, it's, it's not how I feel about it. So I think, I think um, for a while, I'm actually in a fallow season. Uh, the past, uh, past year and a half, there's been both tremendous growth in terms of just opportunities I've had, not only here on the show, but I was part of a, a coin and Greek class. Eric and I were part of a, a class that, met fairly regularly to talk about theology. Um, there were just like so many opportunities that opened up 
because of the the shutdown and things I don't think I ever would have been able to do at least not not for the next five or ten years um, if not for the fact that everyone was stuck at home and all they had was their computer uh, so that like tremendous growth but also tremendous production I mean I and I don't know that everything I produced was of the highest quality but I wrote a lot um, uh, had a two plus hour debate with Catherine on top of something like 10,000 words that I wrote and published. And that was, then there was another uh, roughly 5,000 that I didn't publish. Uh, in addition to some other things that I've, you know, just constantly doing here at the church. So tremendous growth, um, a tremendous production. Like, I, I don't know if what I did was good, but I sure did a lot of it. I mean, really productive. Uh, so, you know, just... Feels- same way. So don't worry, Luke. You're not the only one. <laughs> but uh, but I feel like I'm entering a season now. You know, there's a one of the interesting things that we find in the Old Testament is this idea of a Sabbath not just for people, but even for land. Every seventh year, you're not supposed to plant. Uh, Mike's got to run. He's got some. He's got some responsibilities to take care of today. But as I, as I've sort of, um, it's interesting for the it's for the first time in a long time. There have been times these past few years I've had to step away from things, but it felt like every time I did, I found something else to pick up. Yeah. Um, and for the first time, probably since I've been here, I'm letting go of some things, and I'm not trying to fill those gaps. Uh, and I think I think there's going to be a season for me when a lot of what I'm trying to do is just what I need to do each day in terms of what needs to be done for the church. Are there any urgent congregational care needs? I've got a sermon coming up on Sunday. Uh, and then what I need to do for my family that day. And probably not a whole lot else for a while. Uh, and I think I think there would have been a season, there would have been a time not so long ago when I would have felt like something was wrong if mm-hmm. my life looked like that. Um, and maybe, maybe it's some, maybe I've grown a bit in maturity. Maybe I just recognize what the condition of my life is right now, but I, I'm, I have a real sense of peace about it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, as, as difficult as it has been to, to step away from things like this, I don't, I've not had any regrets in ter- in terms of this sort of decision I've made for trajectory for the foreseeable future. And I know the season, the other thing too, I think I've finally lived long enough that I know that seasons change. So mm-hmm. I, when you're young, it's like every season you enter, it feels like my life will be like this forever. Uh, and I think I'm finally old enough that I know that's not true. So however long this season lasts, it could be as short as a few months um, or it could be a lot longer depending on uh, the what it is that the Lord has in store, especially for my family, but also for my church. And I don't know. I just have uh, an inexplicable sense of peace about it all. It's difficult to explain. Do you feel like you're hitting more of like a reset button on your life? Like, yeah. like, like, yeah. And yeah. that's kind of how I think that's good to do, man. Like on a, on, on a, you know, whenever you get a sense that you're, o- you're overwhelmed or there's too many, too many things, you know, trying to get your time. Mm-hmm. that you have to just kind of hit the reset and go, okay, I'm mixing everything except for the things that God has called me to. Mm-hmm. I have a wife. I'm called to her. 
Mm-hmm. I have a family. I'm called to them. I have a church. I'm mm-hmm. called to them. Nothing else, like like beyond that, <laughs> everything else that you've added to your plate, it could be from the Lord, but it's stuff that you've initiated. Stuff that you know, it's it's additional stuff. Those are the mm-hmm. foundational things that that God's given to you um, yeah. to be a steward over, right? So, so like for me, I, I've been trying to think through the same thing. Like, w- when's the time that I'll feel like I have to hit that reset button, and then. Mm-hmm. If I do, what does that then look like? Yeah. Um, if I feel overwhelmed, is it because I make things out to be more than they are or mm-hmm. am I perceiving them correctly? And that's when you have to bring in, I think, other wise persons to like mm-hmm. come in and like help you assess, you know, what's going yeah. on in your life. But I think for me, part of what's made this transition so easy is this wasn't the sort of situation where I was having to ask, like agonize over the question of is there too much? Um, I had a week sort of, it was the week that the last week in July that sort of bled into August when I had something like, I think I had six different speaking engagements, either at the church or somewhere else. Yeah. And, and, and then including this. Um, and I got to the end of hey, that don't, week. Don't ask me to come speak. Well, move out to uh, Western North Carolina and you'll get lots of invitations. I, I, uh, I don't want to speak. But I got, I got to the end of that week and I just sort of looked back and everything I'd done that week was good. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was uh, going down to the uh, local polling place so that I could rant about my favorite politician. It wasn't like I was going down to the uh, local brewery so I could have a debate about uh, the, the best kind of beer yeah, it was it was that, all work. Hold on, hold on. That sounds like you were being entertaining debate. I'm not no. I'm I'm not degrading any of those things. I'm not saying those would be bad things, but I'm just saying the things I did that week, they were all it was all kingdom stuff. It was all connected to uh, a body, some a body of believers, whether it was a camp or the church. But I, I got to the end of that week and I looked back over all I had done, and instead of feeling accomplished or, or productive, I felt ashamed because I hadn't done anything well. And so that was, that was just a huge wake up call for me of, um, okay, do, do I want to work hard in obedience to the calling of the Lord? Yes. Are there going to be times when, um, Tom chiming in, Tom hasn't commented on this show in like a year and he jumps in so he can call me a hater. Uh, you know what I think it is? I think I think Tom doesn't comment because he's jealous because he's not on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, there's a spot opening up. Uh, but the uh, no, no, what I was saying was, okay, I want to I want to be willing to work hard. And I know there are going to be just as there are big seasons of life, there are little seasons too. Like there are going to be weeks when everything happens at once and you mm-hmm. can't help it. You know, more a couple different people die in your congregation, or maybe something really great happens. Um, and it all sort of gets bundled together and things get busy for a little while. But, but so much of what I was, I had done that week, I had raised my hand for. And so now I'm looking back and I'm going, no, nothing that I did that week was bad in terms of, I, I didn't say anything that I don't think I taught anything false, but I also, I also wasn't rigorous in preparing for anything I did. And it wasn't because I just didn't feel like preparing that week. It was because literally every day it was like, I have. I have to get ready for the next thing. Um, and that, so for me, it was actually an, it was an easy transition. There have been other times in the past when it was been hard. This one was easy. Cause I just looked at, you know, the, the past seven days of work I had done and they were shoddy. 
And, and that, that was, that was a huge wake up call for me. I think the other thing that's different about this time, it's, it's interesting you use the term reset. I have, I have reset life before several times in the past 10 years, but the way I did it before was that I moved. Mm. So I think, so things would get hard wherever I was and I would just move on to the next thing. And, uh, I don't regret any of those moves cause they, they got me here. Um, but the, it's different this time in that the solution to sort of the the building up of pressure and responsibility is for me this time is not to run away somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's that's just hugely different than what I've done at any point in my career so far. Yeah, no, I think that's wise, man. And I think, you know, how many times do people pick up and move or, or come, you know, uh, especially pastors when they feel overwhelmed where they're at and they just, mm-hmm. they're, they're too quick to pull the trigger to go somewhere else. Right. Um, and I think that that's going to become easier in our denomination as more pastors retire, because there's going to be a gr- there, there's, it's almost like the job market now, right? Like, yep. Um, I don't know what it, it, what the current stat is, but a couple months ago in North Carolina, they only had, they had less than one applicant per every, job in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, it's far less. And yeah. I, I forget the number, but it was something like 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8, something like so so yeah. for every three jobs you have two people applying. Yeah. Um, and I saw not- I, I saw a number recently, something like 70% of our pastors they expect to retire within the next 15 years. I mean that's a huge yeah, number. I think, I think it's more dire than that. Um oh, is it even more than that now? Yeah in conversations I've had with with um, with Justin uh, Nash uh, up at ACGC, so he's he's our resident church health guy. Um, and if you didn't already know this, uh, we do a podcast. We haven't uh, we have like talking about Tom. We have like two or three episodes in the bank that ha- were that were recorded over a year ago that he hasn't released yet. They're like the hidden. They're the, they're the hidden episodes of. Ooh of the renewed church podcast, but we we've got some more episodes that he and I've been talking about doing, but he he's shared with me. Um, I think it's like 70% are within are uh, at or within 10, like 65 mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. 10 years, 60. Yeah. And, and it's probably, cl- it's probably the, the cliff is a lot closer than even those numbers indicate. So mm-hmm. it, it also depends on, on our pastors going to retire or not. So, you know, for some, one of, one of the issues that we have is we might have some pastors who are probably 75, 80 years old mm-hmm. with, um, with no intention of, of retiring, not because, not because um, they don't want to retire, but because they can't financially retire. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a problem um, that, man, Tom, that's going to only hurt churches. Tom is funny today. He says the secret episodes will be a bomb for Luke's departure. Uh, <laughs> That's good. R- Richard chiming in with something I really want to share here. He says, I-, I hope it's okay to share on here. And yes, Richard, it is. As long as you're okay with it being shared publicly, because the show is live stream. Um, kind of in the stage right now of things being hard and confusing, trying to keep things going while stepping back from others. Some days are really hard trying to figure out what to do next. Or am I in the place I'm supposed to be? Prayers, please. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure Richard's not alone in being in that kind of a season. And and you know some of that is part of that we're 
things are so are rap are, are changing daily and weekly mm-hmm. regarding COVID and 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 all that. Um, you know, I had a conversation with a church member yesterday. We were talking about how taxing and tolling it's been on people that have had to make decisions, um, like pastors, churches, but other people as well, where you're you're working outside your expertise. Right. You have to discern whatever the truth is out there regarding COVID and restrictions. And it's hard um, because there is a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of politically slanted stuff that's put out there. So it's hard to figure out where, you know, anyway, I think everybody's just tired, man. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's just like really tired. And we're just trying to get along. We're just trying to get through this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Lord's present in that. Right. Like, I think I think. You know, we're able to go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his for his uh, sustaining grace and his comfort, his mercy and his peace. Um, but also, you know, the strength to be able to get through and, and ultimately rest in knowing that these things have come for a reason, that this time is here for a reason and that he will work things all out for his glory and for our good. Hmm. You know, it's interesting that you chose Ecclesiastes three as sort of our guidepost today, if you don't mind. I want to jump a little bit to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And I'm going to, if you've never read the book, you need to, uh, I know Eric has, but I'm talking to our audience. If you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, you need to stick your fingers in your ears and hum for the next 60 seconds. Because if you've not read Ecclesiastes, do it. You can, you can read it in an afternoon. It is only 12 chapters. And for this bit I'm about to read to really, have the proper impact, you need to read all 12 chapters. But I'm going to, for the sake of time, I won't do that right now. I'm just going to skip ahead to the end. After this uh, teacher has said over and over again, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. Work is meaningless. Uh, Pleasure is meaningless. He goes all the way through, you know, every matter of life and says, there's no point because in the end, it all comes to nothing. Then at at the very end of chapter 12, verse 13, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And uh, I I think, you know, you mentioned some of the ways that God is working through this really challenging season of continuing through the pandemic and all the consequences of it. And um, I think one thing that I've just been reminded of And again, at first, this is going to sound awful, but let me get to the end. One thing I've been reminded of is the vanity of everything that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you come to that realization without a a saving knowledge of Christ, it's a horrible realization. I I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, crushing. Mm -hmm. But if you you come to that realization, knowing the one who will still be standing when everything else is crumbled, um, there's almost an even greater hope. And sort of letting go of your own ability to do it. And it doesn't mean that we stop working. It doesn't mean uh, that we stop uh, doing the things that we do in life. And it, and it doesn't mean that the things we're doing are without purpose. But we know that those purposes will stand in the end, even if we don't see them fulfilled now. Uh, and that's that's been that's been a great reminder for me of, okay, do I want fruit? from my labors now? Yeah, I do. And when, whenever the Lord gives me that, that's great. But there's also a sense that, uh, you know, we plant, we water, but only God makes it grow. 
And so mm-hmm. everything that I'm doing, I'm doing with a sense of God's sovereignty and his uh, plan and, and having to trust that he knows better than I do. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, unless you've got more to say on this subject, I was thinking for the last 15 minutes, we could just go for a short little walk down memory lane. Uh, and and we don't have to... Uh, oh. I lost you for a minute there, Eric. Oh, there we go. You're yeah. back. You're yeah. back. Uh, we don't. We don't have to get too cheesy. We don't have to get too sappy. Um, but I'll. I'll tell you one thing that I. I thought about this week as I was considering sort of my time on the show coming to an end, and it was our first episode. Eric, do you remember the very first frame of this show? What you were wearing? Oh. Uh... No, I have no clue. We went live, and uh, you, of course, started our very first show with a joke about how to protect yourself from COVID. So you oh. were wearing <laughs> a hockey helmet. Yeah, that's right. You were wearing your hockey mask, <laughs> and you and you made sure it was the one that was. Uh, it wasn't glass. It was yeah, like yeah, wire, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is hilarious because it won't keep anything out. But right. I, I remember, I remember that. I remember that this week because I was thinking back. Mm-hmm. Any anything come to your mind as you sort of reflect on the past year and a half? It's been a year and a half we've been doing this. Yeah. Um. Well, I think of I think of kind of some you know some of the cool guests that we've had. You mm-hmm. know, we've had the opportunity of having um, Paul Cox from Reftoons. We've mm-hmm. had um, uh, now. Were you on that episode? I was. I'm pretty sure I was on yeah. on the one because we Paul, had Chris yeah. Date, and I don't think that you were. I wasn't. I wasn't there for Chris Date. That's one of the great regrets of my life is the fact that I missed the Chris Date episode. Yeah, I will. You know, one of the coolest episodes I think we did was we had your mom on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, which I wasn't sure how that would how that would work out, and that mm-hmm. was really one of our first episodes. Um, and you wanted to bring your mom on, and we're talking mm-hmm. about women in ministry. And, uh, you know, I even had a conversation with someone recently, um, a member of our church, because we're talking about the role of women in ministry, egalitarianism, Mm -hmm. complementarianism. And I had shared, like, you had written some articles um, and and, uh, they're like, wow, that's fascinating. I wonder, like, what the interaction is between Luke and his mom, you know, Mm -hmm. because mom was here. Um, So... So I just I thought that was a really cool episode. I really appreciated um, your your mom coming on and kind of really not knowing what that conversation would would look like. You know what I mean? Um, so so I thought that was really neat. Uh, yeah. That episode. Um, well, I think I think that episode really opened the gateway in some ways for contentious conversations on this show. I, one thing that I'm really proud of that we've done over the past year and a half is we've been unafraid to breach um, controversial issues when we think they're important. And I don't think we've always done that perfectly. In fact, I know we haven't. But at the same time, uh, and I this is you know my last show for a while, so I think I can speak freely. I think one. I, I think one of the. <laughs> I think one of the great the great failings within our denomination over the past you know thirty or forty years, maybe even further back than that, is uh, a real like a culturally entrenched unwillingness to fight, and um, 
we certainly should not be eager to fight. We shouldn't be eager to divide the body. Um, you know, you sent me a great meme recently about uh, reformed people and their contentious nature. And there, I think there's some truth to that. Maybe sometimes we fight unnecessarily or a bit too uh, uh, vehemently when we don't need to. But I, I feel like if you sort of look at the culture of our denomination over the past 30 or 40 years, our problem has not been that we don't fight enough. Uh, and one thing that we really tried to do was to have the fights that matter. And that mm -hmm. was really the first time that we did that. I think you and I up to that point had maybe had a few moments where, well, I don't disagree with you entirely, um, but we're so close on so many things that it, they weren't real fights. Uh, that was the first time that we really had someone else on who uh, disagreed with us in a pretty fundamental way about something important. Uh, and I thought that we and my mom handled that conversation well. And I think that opened up the, the, the doors to have other kinds of conversations like that. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we've not been afraid to fight over this, this past year. And I, and I think that's something that we're going to have to continue to do, whether it's on this show or, or just in the course of life in our own churches is, okay, we got to pick our battles so that we're not fighting every battle that, that, mm -hmm. that appears, but the important ones, we have to be willing to dig our heels in a bit and, uh, and, and live with the controversy. Yeah. And I think, I, so I think there's a difference between fighting for fighting sake, mm -hmm. which is, which is what I think a lot of, a lot of the people you admire. And at one time I appreciated <laughs> them more than I do now, but you know, yes. I think, of, I think of James White, who I've been identified by some of his work previously yeah, White um, and I, Wilson and that whole sort of camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, really, it's just fighting for fighting's sake, you know. Um, whereas I think our approach has been like, hey, what's what's important, and mm -hmm. and where do we disagree? Can we have a productive conversation about it? Let mm -hmm. you know, there's no need for name calling. There's no need for ad hominem attacks. Um, but let's let's get at the issue and let's hash it out. And, and maybe at the end we're further apart or maybe we're closer right. together, but it's worth trying. And, and that's something that I'm really proud that our show has tried to do. I think sometimes, you know, our show probably isn't for everyone. Um, some people no. like, I, because I think, I think if anything, our show is very anti Advent Christian um, in that, you know, we're willing to discuss hard issues, whereas mm -hmm. Advent Christians historically have not done that at all right so um and and you know maybe we're the you know we're that next generation of advent christians who are who, who are going to take the mantle and say hey we've made a lot of mistakes in the past because we haven't really stood for anything mm -hmm. and, and we think that the truth is worth standing for and we do right. believe that um god's word is truth therefore uh, we stand for god's word and mm -hmm. i think that over the last you know, century, man. I mean, we've kind of been like, yeah, I guess God's word is truth, but like, well, uh, can you I, really I don't know. I want to hang on. I'm going to give a little more credit than that because um, I think you're right that probably as you know, a hundred years ago, what you're saying was probably true. I think for the past 40 years, Advent Christians actually have stood on the word of God. What many have been unwilling to do is to expand that at all. <laughs> Right. So what does that actually or, or, mean? Or let, me, How does or it... let me let me re let me restate that. Right. So there might be some who, who question whether or not, you know, 
God's word is truth. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in fact, historically in our denomination, there's been two camps, um, mm -hmm. you know, the Berkshire camp and then the, the Aurora camp mm -hmm. um, regarding, you know, what, what kind of authority and what kind of, how was the Bible inspired? That mm -hmm. was a big controversy at one point. Um, and, but I think, I think the problem that we, that we've wrestled with more recently is, is okay. God's word is truth, but can we know truth? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, yeah, I believe God's word is truth. I believe it's whatever, but like, can we really know what it means? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, right, this, right. it's just postmodern. Um, and one, and you know, as I sometimes say, we were postmodern before postmodernism. Yeah. And, and I think for many of us, we've, we've been raised in postmodernism and we recognize that, that how detrimental that is not only to the Christian faith and worldview, mm -hmm. um, but also detrimental to us, um, in all in all kinds of ways, because if you if you can't know truth, then why ever ever go on any search for anything? You know. Yeah. So so I think yeah. you know we've we've broached those subjects over the last year and a half. Right, right, and, and I I really hope that you know if my time on the show leaves any sort of legacy, you know, we're we're some rinky dink little show in a rinky dink little denomination. Uh, there's in, in terms of. Uh, significance we don't have any but we there were people who listened to us mm -hmm. and so um you know if i left any sort of legacy i hope it was that we defended not just the authority but also the knowability of god's truth in god's word and um look we've had some fun there have been moments where we sort of veered off the path to do other things i thought that conversation we had last week with you was one of the best ones we've ever had and it was totally, totally out of, out of left field. But most of what we've done is to talk about um, uh, the, you know, the, the issue of the authority of the Bible, not just that it's from God, so it's binding, but we can actually understand what it teaches, so it's mm -hmm. binding. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. I, and I, I hope that's something that we have, you know, if, if there's a dead horse you want to beat, it's that one. Yeah. 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 And I think we're okay beating that dead horse. Yeah. Because and apparently people just haven't got you know, it's disappointing, you know, it's disappointing that, you know, um, it's, it's, you know, it's like, if I think of the Advent Christian church as, as one big family mm -hmm. and, and when you realize, Hey, your family member has a terminal illness and you go, Hey, this doesn't have to be terminal. We've actually found a cure. And they're like, no, you haven't. How do you know it's a cure? How do you, you know, it's like, well, actually, it, but, I just, I feel like, I feel like in the last year and through this show, um, and I think the show has sparked like other social media conversations or whatnot. Mm -hmm. In one sense, it's been kind of depressing because I didn't realize, you know, by at least historical Christian standard, mm -hmm. like essentially by the measure that the church has been using, um, since 70 AD or, or let's say the third or fourth century, um, you know, we have, we have a lot of people that, uh, again, going back to what but, I said several years ago, you can be Advent Christian and not be Christian. And I know, I, I, I know how difficult that's been for you and how discouraging. I think I see it very differently because I grew up in the denomination. What, what I've seen happening, and I would like to think that we've had a part to play in it. What, what I've seen happening over 
the past uh, few years um, is the lines that have all always been there are finally being drawn. Mm. You know, we, we've talked before about uh, fall, a, a false sense of unity, right? We're united because we say so. And we have the same name and we, we go to a con, you know, we go to retreats together. But if you were to actually dig down at all, you would find that we're not united. Um, it's, it's a, it's a facade of unity. And I think what's been happening these past few years is the facade is finally lifting. And I know for some people that's discouraging, it's discouraging for people like you, but it's also discouraging for the postmodernists and relativists who think like, Oh my gosh, why are we, why are we dividing over things that we can't really know? You're, you're, you're messing up the denomination. We have a history of welcoming ecumenicalism and you're messing it all up. And what I see happening is, um, we're just, we're just uncovering the lines that have, have always been there. Um, and so some people might say, well, you're dividing the denomination. And I would say, no, we're not. We're just, we're just rightly identifying the divisions that have existed for generations, but, no, but no one would talk about. So I, I see it as a good thing in the long term. Obviously right now it's a great deal of struggle and, and pain and some disappointment, but I think in the long run, having those dividing lines clearly spelled out is going to be a good thing because it's going to force us to stand on what matters. Mm -hmm. That's good. Now, Luke, uh, as we close up soon, and I, and I realize that as we always say, oh, we're going to close this thing out, we usually go on for another 30 or 45 minutes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I can't help but but notice. Now, now maybe there's nothing uh, – maybe there's nothing to this, mm -hmm. but I've at least observed that – this announcement comes on the heels of your debate, mm -hmm. written and verbal debate, as, mm -hmm. as that was on this show and on on Everett Christian Voices. Um, that this announcement comes on the heels of those things. Yeah, yes, it seems, it seems as though um, that you know one might perceive mm -hmm. that that you know those interactions have spurred on this reassessment and reset mm -hmm. in your life. Yeah. So I actually, I haven't spoken publicly on the show at all about the debate because I had, I had um, decided beforehand that while Catherine and I were still in our dialogue, I wasn't going to be saying other things in other forums, but we're done now. So I feel like I can, I can speak about it. Um, looking back on it now, uh, I'm glad I did it. I am, as firm in my position as I've ever been. I was wholly unconvinced by Catherine's arguments, despite the fact that she prepared extraordinarily well and, and held herself, uh, uh, um, what's the term? Comported herself extraordinarily well. Um, and, and let me say publicly, I'm so grateful that she um, stood by her word and kept it a biblical argument. There were, there were many moments over the course of that discussion where, where others interjected the sorts of uh, personal arguments that really muddy the waters. And she never once did that, not for a moment. Um, so, so I, I, I generally have um, a, a, a good impression of the, the events that took place. And, and I wouldn't, I would know, I would not say that that debate, you know, or those, those discussions are what caused this to happen. But I will say this, that week I mentioned of looking back and saying, I didn't do anything well. One of the things I did that week was a two-hour debate with Catherine. Ah, so, okay. so I, I would say that was one piece of sort of a larger whole, which was 
my increasing responsibilities and obligations all sort of coming to a, a, a head in, in that one week. And I, like I said, I don't, I don't think I did anything that week particularly poorly. I'm not ashamed of anything I did that week. But, but I also, um, if I could go back, I would have done a lot of it differently. And, and if I could go back and redo the debate with Catherine, I absolutely would have done thing, a lot of things differently. Um, I think most of my arguments would have been the same. My presentation would have been very different. And so, uh, no, that 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 debate didn't. It's not like I look. Uh, it w it went terribly, and so I went. Ah, I have to I have to reset my life. But it was one of several things that happened that week that um, I don't feel I did well, and and it's because I had so many other plates I was trying to spin at the same time. So I, it it was a factor, but no, it wasn't. It wasn't the thing that made me make the decision so so let me interpret that for everybody else who wants to do so uncharitably like me uh -huh. um, luke got beat up by a girl therefore he's running home to mommy yeah not 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 at all what i said in fact the very <laughs> the very first thing i said was that i don't think i lost the debate um i'll i'll, I'll say this and i i don't want to try to rehash the whole discussion i I think one of the interesting things I discovered in that debate is that despite the fact that I have several people in my camp, um, I've, I've got some pretty significant differences with those people in terms of how I got there. And that, that was quite the lesson, realizing just because you've arrived at the same location doesn't mean you took the same road. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and in biblical interpretation, the road matters. It matters a lot. So um, I uh, let me say this. I, I don't think, and uh, let me qualify it. I think Catherine prepared really diligently. I think she presented her arguments very well. I think she used the tools of historical grammatical analysis. I don't think what she did was exegesis. Now, obviously, if she were here, she would um, she would absolutely retort and say, "Oh, yes, I did." And that's and if you want that, then go back and read and watch the debate, right? Because a, a lot of the debate ended up being about that. Um, I will say this, though, as a result of that debate, one of the things that I have been doing since then is I have been really going back to basics in terms of my understanding of what it is that I'm trying to do when I approach the scriptures. Um, and I think part of the reason I'm stepping away from some things is uh, because I, I don't I don't feel like I can with confidence take the same the, the positions that I hold until I've really shored up my understanding of that most basic question of what are what are we trying to do when we're interpreting the Bible. So uh, that yeah, that's where I stand on the debate. And uh, Eric, you don't have to try to come to Catherine's defense. She acquitted herself very well. And if anyone's interested, we've got something like almost 10 articles and a two-hour debate, and uh, plenty of material for our audience to peruse so they can come to their own conclusions. Yeah, I i mean, I'm not going to come to Catherine's uh, defense because she's more than capable <laughs> of, uh, and, and I think that um, I actually, it was either this morning or last night, maybe yesterday, sometime in the last couple of days, my days run together, mm -hmm. but sometime in the last 24 hours, uh, I read her most recent article, which I thought was was really good, and I appreciated it. Mm -hmm. uh, my observation, at least, um, 
was that it seemed she did exegesis. And I thought that in, in your approach, it was more of it. And I've shared this with you privately. Yeah, yeah. My, and it was my big critique or criticism through the live show was so it looks like Catherine's doing the exegesis and Luke's just saying, no, trust me, this is what it means. And, um, yeah. And, 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 and I, I know, and we, and you and I have talked about this. I know you got, I know you have the ability to do the exegesis properly. Um, and, and you've even challenged me to say, well, Hey, you could have chimed in, you could have done part of this. And, and I do appreciate mm -hmm. what you had to say regarding that, but I, you know, I made it very clear from the beginning of you guys starting this conversation. That I wanted no part of it because I didn't have the time. And I knew, mm -hmm. I knew how deep um, that, you know, there are, you're trying to have a debate when there's tomes of books written about this issue. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a challenge in doing any kind of live debate or, or the way that you guys have done things. I think it was commendable to both of you in what you attempted to do. Mm -hmm. And I thought there was, there was much, uh, it was productive. I thought it was good. Um, and I, th and I appreciate, you know, some of what you had written. Um, Cause I don't think, you know, I think that there were parts of what you did that were solid, that were good. Mm -hmm. uh, and you and I agree on, on, mm -hmm. on the conclusion. Sure. Um, but it just, it just, uh, your articles well, you, are wanting more. You, you used a term that I've, I have, some of the research I've been doing is actually on terminology. Um, mm -hmm. Use the term biblicism mm -hmm. that uh, I'll be honest for, for a long time. I've always viewed that as not only am I a biblicist, but of course I am. Aren't we all? Um, and I've, I, I've been, uh, I've been reconsidering some of my, some of my understanding of what, what biblicism actually is and whether or not it's even a good thing. Uh, so, so while, so while my position on, um, complementarianism has not budged. And while I, I stand by my statement that I don't think what Catherine is doing is um, uh, a, a properly proper and a faithful exegesis, despite the fact that she's using all the tools, um, I will admit that my own understanding of, of the way that I treat the Bible is, uh, has been challenged. So if nothing else, I will, uh, I will be pursuing you know, some clarification and hopefully some growth in that. And I don't know that I would have come to that realization if not for the debate. And that, that was one thing I wrote in my last article that I think I would want to say here is I have part of the reason I have no regrets about having that public dialogue is even if there were parts of it, I did poorly, which there were the um, we live, we live in a culture right now that discourages free thinking and that if you say anything that can be used against you later um if you're if you have any like like it's a good thing i'm a small town small town pastor with no significance if you're if you have any sort of following or sort of importance from the view of the world and you say or do anything online that can be used against you later it will be um and i've just always taken the position maybe maybe it's a privilege i have because of my obscurity I've always taken the position that I, I want to err on the side of making the mistakes publicly. Uh, not that I want to spout off every time I have something uh, inappropriate to say, which I have done, but more in the sense that if I really am entrenched in a position um, and I have an opportunity to, to defend it publicly, then I will. And I, I do that because 
the only way that I know to correct wrong thinking is to expose it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, I'm glad that I put my position out there. Um, and I'm glad that I did it because there's some weaknesses in my understanding of what exegesis maybe even is um, that were, were exposed through, through that debate. And I'm, I'm glad they were. So I have no regrets about doing it. And if I could go, you know, Luke, would you do it again? Yeah. Yeah. In a heartbeat. Uh, any opportunity that I have to expose my thinking to uh, criticism, I, as long as it's in a way that I can receive it, then uh, that's what I want. Well, I, I appreciate your willingness to do it. And I appreciate your willingness to assess because uh, mm -hmm. I think I think what you're going through um, is what we all go through as we're exposed to other other ideas as we engage with people of different backgrounds and whatnot and, and people that have different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons why I advocate, hey, our pastors should go to Bible college and seminary um, because as you as you go up into those other levels of education, you get to you get exposed to a much broader um, much more broader terms and, and, and thoughts and theories and, and, and perspectives is it, it can only build you to, to get better. And, um, so I commend you on your willingness to engage with Catherine mm -hmm. uh, and, and learn some of the lessons along the way. Um, yeah. And, and I'll, uh, I'll say this, uh, when I, when I say I'm considering reconsidering sort of my understanding, um, the the things that I'm thinking about, none of them would change my conclusions, right? If anything, they would be all the more uh, affirmed. However, the when it comes to Bible interpretation, the way you get there matters. And so, um, I if I can grow in terms of how to get there, if I can grow in terms of my understanding of what it is that we are doing when we come to the scriptures, uh, then. Uh, yeah, I'll take it. I have to do that every Sunday. I better be getting better at it. One one thing that I would encourage you to do, mm -hmm. um, and I say this as someone who agrees with your position regarding mm -hmm. the role of, of of men and women in leadership, mm -hmm. is that as you as you grow in your understanding of other things, that you should always be reassessing and always reforming based on you know. So if you if you get to a point where you realize, holy smokes, I've been, oh yeah, I've been thinking about this totally wrong. Like this process of doing ex exegesis and studying the Bible and all that, um, then then you're gonna go. Wait, now I've you're you shouldn't be looking for a specific conclusion. Um, no, 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 Bobby, yeah, absolutely. talks about about theology as a science, and I think that mm -hmm. that is incredibly important. Theology is very much a science, and it's a science of understanding God and His Word. Mm -hmm. And and as such, any good um, person doing science isn't going to approach their process with a predetermined outcome in mind. Right, right. So yeah. so I just want to encourage you in that. Don't have the predetermined outcome in mind. I know, agree. I agree. And, and when and when I I want to be clear when I say my my changing view of exegesis is not going to change my position. It's not because 
I have the the position as as the unchanging thing, right? It's mm-hmm. it's that my already even just in the months since since those dis, those debates, already my I think better understanding of exegesis when applied to those texts, um, I think even more strongly produces the conclusion that that I had, not because I am insisting that they must, right? That's the opposite of exegesis. That's the worst thing we can do with the Bible is to begin with the answers before we ask the questions. What I mean is, I think if I'm employing the tools uh, more thoroughly, they at least so far in my exploration, um, they, on, they only serve to drive, drive me even more toward the conclusion I had. So, and now if those tools should ever, if the, if the, the, if submitting to the word of God rightly should ever bring me to a place where I realize I was wrong, then of course, um, let, let God be true and every man a liar. That includes me. Now, Luke, just because, you know, our audience might not be aware because the term biblicism for mm-hmm. anyone who is a cons- who, who believes in a conservative understanding of the scriptures, mm-hmm. meaning the infallibility of scripture, the authority of scripture yeah. and, and all that. Um, so, so for those who adhere to that, they might hear the term biblicism and go, well, isn't that what that means? So, right. so explain, explain for our audience what your previous yeah. understanding of biblicism was and what mm-hmm. your current understanding of biblicism is and why you are trying to rethink that. Yeah. So I, I think you summarized it really nicely. I, I think um, biblicism from the viewpoint of the biblicist is just, well, yeah, I believe the Bible, right? It's that it, it's actually inspired from God. And so Whatever God said 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, he still sang today. Um, and, and there's a sense in which that is true, right? I, I'm not willing to say that I've completely abandoned Biblicism. However, um, there, there is a, I think the common form of Biblicism that most Biblicists subscribe to is, um, you might call it proof texting, right? It's, it's this practice where you sort of, look at the text um, as plainly as you can, and then just whatever it says, well, that's what God says. And what it fails to do at times is it fails to consider what else God said around it, right? What about context? Uh, what about literary genre? So like a, gra- a great example of biblicism gone wrong would be if you're reading in the Psalms about how God laid the foundations of the earth. And so you conclude that the earth is flat. And so someone might say, well, wait a second, we know the earth is round. And then you might go, well, I believe the Bible. And the Bible says that God laid the four corners of the earth. So it's flat and it's a square. Um, Well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with believing the Bible? Well, when the Psalmist wrote the Psalms, he was writing poetry. So Mm. we should read it the way he wrote it like poetry. And, and that's, that's, I think the great challenge of, um, of exegesis. Uh, it's easy to say, well, the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's a lot harder to say, um, the Bible says it. So I'm going to believe it according to what it meant when it was written. Right. The, the idea of exegesis is that the Bible means today, not, it's not just that the Bible says today what it said then, it's that it means today 
what it meant then. And so there's a whole host of things we have to take into, into account when we are uh, studying the scriptures that if, if we're serious about inspiration, that this was inspired by the Holy Spirit, well then what it meant when Paul wrote it should be what we understand it to mean today. And in order, in order to, to determine that meaning, um, we have to bridge the gap between culture, language, time from now to then, right? You can't just drag a verse into the present day and read it in plain English and then say, well, this is what it means. Um, now, I think that in many cases, the once you've done that faithful exegesis, which we should do every time, once you've done it, um, the meaning that you understand lines up very closely with the plain English reading. But we, we have to do the work before we just conclude that that's what it means. Because there are plenty of passages we could bring up where what you might call sort of a plain surface reading um, not only doesn't yield the, the correct meaning, it yields the opposite of the correct meaning. So uh, biblicism, I think, uh, is, is the idea that if the Bible says it, I believe it. And that is a, that's a good thing to believe if you mean that if the Bible said it then, right, that's what I believe now. If you're practicing a biblicism that makes the jump from first century Palestine to 20th century America and makes no effort to understand the differences that might affect the reading, then you can say that you're faithfully reading the Bible. What you're really doing is culturally mangling it so that you can say that you're, you're, you believe God. Yeah, so I think you're trying to redefine a historical term, you know, Did I not even define biblicism? So, so biblicism, biblicism is, uh, so biblicism, just plainly speaking, mm -hmm. is, is the, the idea that you read the Bible literally out of context. Um, so, so well, divorce. Hold, hold, hold on. I think, I think what you're doing here is, um, you are giving the definition that an outsider looking at biblicism would give. I, I was trying to give a little bit of both. So I know what people would say about biblicism, but I think I also know what a biblicist would say. What, what you just said, I think, is probably a correct uh, definition of what, what it ends up being. But that's not what the biblicist intends to do. I'm not saying they don't do it, but when you do, I think when you just define it that way, biblicism is reading out of context as though that's what a biblicist sets out to do. Uh, I, I don't know if I, if I would buy into that. Well, I think, <laughs> I, I, I just don't think we're using the same language, Luke. That could be fair. That could be true. Yeah, I think, I think we're not using the same language. Right. And, and that's, and that's the problem when doing theology. Yeah. Um, I, I think that you're trying to, um, and, and maybe it's because you at one time adhered to the term biblicist, and then all of a sudden you, I, then all of a sudden, like I and a couple of others brought to your attention. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I would have actually a pejorative term that that that, ha, that is no, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you guys said something because I would have adhered to the term two months ago. I would have um, called myself yeah. one, and I would have, and I would have called you one, yeah, and I wouldn't, um, because mm -hmm. I think, I think biblicists. Are uh, biblicists 
from my understanding as I've studied theology, is mm -hmm. a term used for those who um, don't see the need for context regarding literary genre or right. historical and cultural context in trying to understand the Bible. Um, and I think that our denomination probably has had a, a long history with biblicism, um, which is why we have some of the theological problems that we do. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, having a high view of scripture does not mean you're a biblicist. In fact, I would, I would suggest that those who are biblicists, they might have in one, in one hand, a high view of scripture, but they misunderstand what that means. Well, no, I, I think, I think what the, I think what the biblicists have is they have a high view of their own culture that is disguised even to themselves as a high view of, of scripture. Right. So it's uh, it, what you have is someone who will hear a great example is Stephen Anderson. Right. Um, one, one, of, one of my favorite Stephen and Stephen Anderson is a fundamentalist Baptist preacher uh, from Arizona. Actually, it's, it's funny. Good for a chuckle. Tell, it, tell it, it, it's funny it, it, on the subject of biblicism. I will confess something to you. I like some of Stephen Anderson's preaching. Some some of it is hot steaming garbage, uh, but but some some of it I've honestly listened to and been edified by. Okay, all that aside, uh, one of the wacky things that Stephen Anderson will do is he'll he'll take a passage from the Old Testament that talks about he who pisseth against the wall, right? Well, this is a this is a term for men, um, and he'll make the point that men should pee standing up, right? Uh, so. And I think in Steven Anderson's mind, he honestly thinks that he is um, respecting the authority of the Bible. What, what, what he cannot see is that he's reading every verse through the lens of his own culture. Mm -hmm. And so what he's actually treating with authority is his culture. The, the, the Western, you know, uh, fundamentalist Baptist glasses that he's always wearing that's that's his ultimate authority, but I don't I don't think most biblicists are aware that they're doing that. No, I don't know, know that they necessarily do either. But right. as I you know, I just taught last week. Uh, we have VBS and we have an adult class, and I just taught um, a crash course in studying the Bible. And you mm -hmm. know, I I tried. You know, I said over and again, you don't read Agatha Christie the same way that you read Maya Angelou. You mm -hmm. just don't. Right. One writes po poetry, the other writes mystery novels. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the same way with the Bible. Um, though God is the author of scripture, he has communicated through man in word form in different genres. So yep. you're not going to read the Psalms the same way that you would read a historical narrative or that you would read a gospel or that you would read an epistle. Um, you're just... It, you're not going yeah, and, to. And, and the reason you're not going to do that is because of your respect for the the authority of the Holy Spirit and inspiring the author. Because if the Holy Spirit inspired poetry, you don't read it like history. That's right. not that that's not respecting the because authority of the not, Word of God. It's not intended exactly to be, to be read yeah. that way. But uh, but let me but let me throw in one more term here just to really confuse things. Um and then uh, we'll try to we'll try to wrap up by two thirty because I do have one more thing I want to do before I go. Uh, the what, let me just come straight out and tell you what I think Catherine is doing. Um, I think Catherine is is 
doing historical critical analysis, right? And it's it's a very thin line, right? Because historical critical and historical grammatical use all the same tools, right? Uh, and one of the things I said in, in the articles that I don't regret saying is that I think Catherine's approach overvalues culture and understanding the Bible. Now, if you just take that at surface level, that seems ridiculous because one of the most important things we have in understanding the Bible is culture. I, I mean, there, you think about some of the things that Jesus taught and to us today, they don't make any sense unless you understand something about first century Palestine. Um, but what I see Catherine doing in, in a text like First Timothy 2 is she has taken the culture, uh, which she, she has perfectly fine evidence for the cultural consideration she offered, but she's taken that culture and then she says, Be because the culture was this way and our culture is now a different way, she rightly says that, um, the words of Paul cannot be applied to us the way that they did in first century Ephesus. And that's where I break, right? I don't have I don't have any and, and I know I didn't I did not do a good thorough job of doing my own cultural analysis. There were pieces of the exegetical puzzle I was missing, um, and the only thing I can say about that is I, I I just failed in that regard. But as as the debate went on, all those pieces came into play, right? We talked about all those things. We talked about grammar. We talked about culture. We talked about the literary context in the letter. Um, and all those things that she brought up, all those those classic, classical, uh, what should I call them? Those sort of standard egalitarian arguments, what I see them doing is um, in, with, very, with very careful historical grammatical terminology, um, I see them uh, essentially amputating the legs out from the text so that you can't take it anywhere today. And so all we're left with is, well, this is something that Paul said to first century Ephesus, end of discussion. Um, now, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a, a, a nuanced and a difficult conversation to have because I would say there are things in Paul's letters that we can say that about. When Paul says in one of his letters, bring me, bring me my scrolls, we should not take that as a universal instruction to all Christians to bring Paul his scrolls, right? But when we're when we're dealing with something like instructions on how to be a godly woman, uh, we need to take into consideration the culture of the time. But I don't think we should use that culture to say because our culture is different, this need not apply. Um, and Catherine, I'm and sure would say, I'm sure Catherine would say, I'm not doing that. I have no doubt she would say that. And I don't but, think she is doing that. But by the end so of the I don't I don't think I don't think, you know, in, in reading her articles and your articles, I don't think I don't think she is saying that. I think and again, it'd be great to have her have her on here and answer. Catherine and I have said all we you know, all, yeah. all we, we can say but, on, on but, that subject. And and again, you and I come to the same conclusion. <laughs> but I just you know, I had not read um especially from someone I know personally, mm -hmm. I've not read as good an argument for egalitarianism as I did with, with Catherine. And, and um, by, and by, and by good, do you mean thorough or thorough, do you mean, con quality. Or, do you mean or do you mean convincing? Uh, whether or not it's convincing, I don't think dictates whether or not it was 
a good well, argument. Well, I've, I, have, so I, think, I have said I have said repeatedly throughout the process that the quality of Catherine's work has been excellent, and in and in many cases, I, I'm even willing to say much better than mine. The issue is that at the end of all that thorough analysis, um, she had I and I and I you know I tried through that through that argument to give the benefit of the doubt and to say, okay, I want to honestly hear her arguments not to not misrepresent them. But at the end of all that thorough, I mean, she worked really diligently and presented something really well put together. And yet at the end of it all, I, I heard nothing convincing. And that, that was, that was, I think what um, made it difficult for me. It, it would have been easy for me to just say, Hey, I lost the debate. If her arguments had been better quality, which they were, and they were convincing. The problem is for all her, her rigorousness, her, her scholarly faithfulness for all her uh, thoroughness. I mean, she wrote a lot more than I did. She said nothing convincing about the subject. And so it, it made it difficult for me to just say, ah, tip my hat. You got this one. I disagree. I'm not convinced, you know, like, so, so here's, and here's maybe the, just the difference between you and I, or, or right. I, I don't know what it could be. Maybe somebody else could observe, but there is a difference um, here for sure. So for I, sure. And maybe it's because you were in the heat. I would say she overwhelmingly beat you in the debate, but that doesn't mean she was correct. So I think someone could lose. I think someone can lose a debate even though their conclusion's correct, but they just didn't make a good argument. Like I thought. Like I like I thought her arguments were solid. I thought that they provide the she provided yeah, the is, proper this, foundation. This is the difference. It, the, the, the hold up. This is the difference, though. Okay. I thought her arguments were thorough and excellently well presented. I found nothing solid in what she presented. I thought I thought she provide to me. I look at it and I go, she provided solid evidence. If this is a court of law, it's not convincing evidence, right? And right. I, and and I appreciated what Lou had to say. He jumped into the conversation. Yeah, well, in some in some ways, I think Lou started to fill some of the gaps that I left. Yeah, uh, and, and he's and, a good and, person and turns, to do it. And turn to more of the of the um, the exegetical evidence that I I skipped over. Yeah. So so I think I think she did an excellent job. I appreciated what I she had to write, and I and and it, it it put me in a posture of going, all right, I can have a conversation about this because previously I wasn't quite sure I could because previously. Most of the people that were in our circles, I mean, Advent Christian circles, mm -hmm. they operated from a place of what I think is cultural and emotional manipulation. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and she did not do that at all. It not was, once. It was staunchly, once. staunchly biblical, serious. I think it was serious scholarship that was accessible to the lay reader. I, I thought it was excellent. All right, let me. Um, let, and again, let me, it put it for me. It 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 just makes me. It makes me more reflective and go, yeah, I can, I can work with someone that's that's on this plane, you know. Let me ask about one particular point that she made, and then I think we can sort of wrap things up. Although I'm glad, you know what? This was this was great for my last show. I'm glad you and I got into it because that's sort of one of the the best things about this show is opportunities for me to be challenged. Um, I've been very challenged in, in, on many different subjects because of the for, a forum like this. Um, and I'm grateful for that. So I'm glad, we, I'm glad we get into it a little bit. 
let me ask you about about one example of something that and, and if you and if you say no i think that was legitimate then i'll i'll go back and read it again i'll reconsider okay. her point in first timothy 2 about paul going from plural to singular meaning that he might be talking to just one particular woman did, did you think that was a legitimate exegetical argument so could it be i think it could i don't know enough about the greek to to so her greek her, her greek um level is far beyond mine um i don't uh, know I'll, Finish. Goodness oh, gracious. I'm sorry, you're right. You're right. I asked you a question. I need to let you answer. I'm listening. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I so I don't think that I have enough Greek in my like I literally started Greek yesterday. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so uh, I mean I've known the alphabet, I've known a couple of words here and there, but I've just not studied Greek. So that's what I'm doing now. Um so I can't I would want to consult with someone who had a higher level of Greek than I do on the same level of her. Or someone who had uh, that was a Greek scholar to say, could this be just the difference between, you know, you know, in the Greek, could there be a term kind of like we just say, hey guys, you know, and it could, you know, a term like that where it could be a catch-all term or or whatnot, and because um, sometimes you don't realize those nuances unless you understand the Greek and how it's used in other places in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So could, that's why I say, could it be possibly? But I don't have the level of scholarship in that field to be able to to convincingly say one way or the other. Uh, I'll just say this, and then we can we can drop it. If that is a you know a, a, a legitimate marker for determining what's general and what's specific, we have huge swaths of Paul's letters that are um, are now in question in terms of whether anything can be applied. Mm -hmm. but I don't like you, you just, you just acknowledged, Hey, my Greek's not great. I'll admit that mine's, mine's not a uh, world-class either. So this is one, you know what, it's a good way for us to sort of come to a close. We'll have to agree to disagree for now on this one. But I think, I think if there's anything that you have learned about me over the past year and a half, it's that even though I am, I'm, I am a staunch in defending my positions when I've been wrong, Consistently, what do I do when I realize I'm wrong, Eric? I come to I, you and I say, Eric, I was usually wrong. cry. You usually cry too. <laughs> have never cried when telling you that I'm wrong. But I have but, but I have come to you and said I was wrong on many occasions and I'm and I'm willing now, to do it again. Now can I make this point? I, I just want to make this point about the argument. I'm, I'm gonna let you make one more and I will not retort. I so I appreciated what she did there in that argument because I remember mm -hmm. specifically what you're talking about, mm -hmm. but it left me going, yeah, but I don't hinge like I I don't I don't hang my hat on that verse for yeah. for this particular issue. So so even even if even if you concede that point, which I'm not I'm not saying that I would concede that point. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm equipped to concede that point at where i'm at now mm -hmm. but if you did i would go that does not change <laughs> you know that doesn't change. it's almost like i was listening to a podcast um uh last night and they were talking about what happens if uh what happens if there's ufos like if we realize that there's alien life on other planets like little green men or anything like that like does that change 
the faith? Does that does that like call into question everything that we've learned in the Bible? Right. And the answer is, of course, no. Why would it? <laughs> if God did not intend to reveal in his word that there is life on other planets, then why would it challenge your faith? Right. It's almost like the, the discussion, well, dinosaurs are real, obviously. So if dinosaurs are real, the Bible can't be real because the Bible doesn't, you know, address dinosaurs. <clears throat> if God doesn't intend to, to, to reveal to us dinosaurs through his word, then why would we, we be surprised when we discover dinosaur bones and, and that call the question the Bible? He right. didn't intend to reveal that to us in his word he intended to re reveal it to us in natural revelation right so it, so so it's the, it's the same thing if you if you refute for, what is it first timothy 2 2 so right. if you, not refute but if you take her rendering of it right. or, or or accept that i go I put that in the same category as the dinosaurs and the ufos in that if that you know, it, that doesn't influence, that doesn't impact I, um, my yeah. view on men and women in, in ministry. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm really glad we've opened this conversation because I think what's going to happen in the future is as other people chime in, there will be a much broader defense of complementarianism constructed. I very intentionally chose a very narrow defense. Um, looking back, was that the best one I could have offered? I don't know. But but I had, you know, I had to make I had to make choices. Like you've said, Eric, there have been tomes, tomes written on this subject. And I had uh, I had there were there are limitations on how much you can say. So um, I chose a very narrow defense. But to your point, I think uh, I think a robust complementarianism is much broader than what it is that I presented. And I suspect that in the coming months, in the coming years, as others chime in, that uh, that much wider uh, uh, you know, much uh, Brother, there's I'll, much I'll, more to be there's much more to be said that we didn't touch. I'm gonna have to ask you to stop using the term broad and broadly when discussing. I can't. You're right. I can't use that. That confuses it. There will be there will be a much uh, a much Wide. wider array of, of, of arguments. Language can be sexist. Yeah, it can. All right. Well. Um, my goal was not to convince, was to make you think about the issue on a deeper level. Well, if that was the goal, then you certainly succeeded with Eric, for sure. Um, and, <laughs> no, uh, Luke, he's, he just, <laughs> Luke, Luke, Luke can't put on the scuba equipment to get that deep. <laughs> Excuse me, I was, I was the one down in the water with her. <laughs> Luke, Luke is, uh, hasn't even entered scuba school yet. <laughs> yeah, and, and Catherine, of course, of course, we know you're here, and I, I didn't say anything that, um, that uh, I, I, I would feel like I would need to take back with you here. I've said many times how well you conducted yourself during that debate and how thoroughly you prepared, and uh, I just think you're wrong. However, um, someone who is not I wrong, one that thinks you sound condescending when you say that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sure Catherine totally agrees. No, I totally feel like, and, and this has been going on for months, whenever you've engaged with Catherine, I always feel like, like whenever you say something like that, that it just comes, and maybe I come across as condescending too. I don't know. I, 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 I don't I really apologize. I don't, I don't mean it as condescending. If it comes across that way, I, uh, I apologize. And um, I trust, I trust Catherine. Catherine has been very open with me throughout this process. I trust her if I say anything that with what she takes issue. Um, so she'll tell me. And that's one, that's one thing that one other thing I've not said publicly that I should is one thing I really appreciate about how Catherine did this is um, 
and I, I honestly, if anything, I wish we'd done even more of this. We did a lot behind the scenes before we did anything publicly. Um, and oh, no, I was in the group chat. It and if I, and if I, and honestly, if I could go back and do it again, one of the things I do differently is I think I do even more of that because one of the things that I didn't realize until the tail end of our two hours was that I was, um, arguing with Catherine about things over which we didn't disagree. And I missed, um, I missed just like fun, fund more fundamentally the disagreement we didn't even, we, we barely touched. And that, that's one of the things that's so difficult. Even what we experienced earlier with our different definitions of biblicism, so often these sorts of discussions end up people doing this as they're using different terms to mean the same thing or the same terms to mean different things. And I learned, I learned a lot, even, even in the, um, the failures of the way that I, that I handled that debate. So, uh, kudos to Catherine for many reasons. Uh, one of them being that she just, uh, she was a great partner. Okay, there's there's one more thing I got to do before I sign off for the last time. So, Eric, is there anything else you needed to do or to say before we part ways? Uh, just one thing. Whatever Luke is about to do or say, Mike and I had no have no idea what he's about to do or mm -hmm. say. Also, we are taking um, we're taking applications for our third guy in. You can send them to Thomas you may want to see Mark's comment because you said third guy, but if you beat the man, does that mean you get to be the man? I mean, you you've said several times that you think Catherine won the debate. Can does that I, mean does that mean she I, gets my spot? Can I can I can I say something real quick? All right. If if I have I, I would love to have Catherine on the show as uh -huh. our third person in, right? Yeah. And I feel like we could say third man in because man is part of woman, right? Like woman, man, you know. Uh -huh. you, so, so it'd be the well, third. Catherine, that that would fall right in line with some of Catherine's arguments because she was very insistent. And I'll 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 concede a point here. Right again, so, rightly so. Hold on, you this don't is let funny. me finish. You're not this, letting me finish. This is gonna be funny. Just let me be funny for a minute. She made the point that sometimes the term "man" is used generally. So that's a good that that would be perfect. Generally, like when I say "you guys," I don't mean those who are only male, right? I mean those who are in. Or anyway, what I was trying to say was I would love to have Catherine be our third person in, but she has a day job and can't, you know, we're pastors. We have more flexible schedules. Um, and, and she, she has a day job and can't, maybe she can listen so, in the background, but can't, you know, can't come on air. Cause every so like, time that we, every time you've had to try to have her on air, it was at specific times where she was available around her work schedule. What so. you're saying is Catherine needs to be a more consistent egalitarian, put her money where her mouth is and become a pastor, and then she can join the show. Uh, I Listen, I'm... <laughs> you don't have to answer. You don't have to answer that. I think everyone listening knew that was, that was silly for me to say, and you don't have to correct it. All right. All right. Um, <clears throat> That's like Luke. That's like saying that's like saying, "Well, a complementarian, every man should be a pastor." Then that's a stupid argument. I know See, it's a stupid you. argument. I didn't, I didn't want to share that, but Catherine had you know Catherine shared with me privately, and I didn't want to share. And I think she shared in our group chat privately that she's not called, does not send to call in to be a pastor. So that that's why it's it's 
All right, all right. Let me let me let me spell it out for Eric and the rest of the audience. That was a joke. I didn't mean it. Um, Just Catherine, get on get on with whatever you you plan well, on doing. I, I was gonna I was gonna have I, I was gonna have a sappy moment with you, but now you're being ornery, so maybe I won't do it. Yeah, I haven't had all my daily couple thoughts. I have no idea what that was, but the sound sounds terrible. Um, it sounds hokey. Um, yeah, Luke, I'll miss you, buddy. I I will miss being on the show. I'll be rooting for you guys from the sidelines and uh, smile, Eric. Eric doesn't have it in him. Eric Eric cannot. Uh, have a sincere moment like this it, it's his he, it's not it's just not in him but i know on the inside i know on the inside underneath that crusty exterior eric had a tender moment with me and he he may not even know it but i know it and that's all that matters i don't even know how to respond to that you well I, you, I know, you know i i will genuinely I will genuinely miss you, Luke. I think the people who watch this show, they tune in to see you. And whenever they see Mike and I on here without your ugly mug, they, they, they're upset even ever so slightly. And, um, you know, I don't, it will be hard for us to carry on without you, but you know what? The Lord will, uh, sustain us amid this great, um, upheaval. And, uh, we trust in him. Yep. Indeed. And, and in all things, we trust in him. And on that note, I got to go. All right. Well, look, we should. Uh, we should oh, we should play. We should play the song again. No, we should let you pick your successor. Right now. Yeah. No, just kidding. No, we've got we've got we've got, uh, you know, Mike and I are working on a list and and, and we're checking it twice. Um, what we're, what, what I, you know, I'm preaching on acts, uh, chapter one verses 15 and through 26 this weekend. Mm -hmm. So casting lots for the 12th apostle, maybe that's what we'll do for this. We're going to cast lots. Let me just, um, let me just throw one name in the hat. Have you thought about Rick Astley? I don't, I don't know what a Rick Astley is. Just, um, just, just YouTube him. Just do it. I'm afraid to. No, don't worry about it. Nope. The last time someone told me to told me to check something out on the internet, I had to update virus software. 
right. In, tip, in typical Bible and banter fashion, we ended the show uh, 46 minutes ago and we're still going. So uh, thanks, everybody. Yeah. I'll God see you around. You. No, you, no, they won't. They won't see you. <laughs>